Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Thanks, guys. Wow. Everybody doing well? Great. Well, we are, Chris and I are honored to be with you. We consider it a privilege to begin our trip here with dear friends. Chris and I were talking this afternoon, and, and we consider it such an honor. I really, really mean that, to be in relationship with Sim and, and Lottie. They are stars. They are shining stars in the kingdom, and I know you know that. You're blessed to have them uh, in your life because the Bible says that leaders are a gift, and we receive them as such, and they've been a gift to us and supported us and encouraged us and loved us and accepted our quirky ways and and let us be us. And so thank you, and thank you all for, for letting us be here tonight. Uh, I want to unpack, if I can, uh, I, I, we've been talking, Sam forgets that I'm bilingual. I speak Texan and English. So I can I can translate. He get, he forgets. We've been friends a long time, but he still gets impressed when I say toilet instead of bathroom or nappies instead of diapers. And so so I, I'll try to to say process instead of process. So I'll try to speak English tonight. When our, when my church travels with me and they listen to me preach in England, they say I don't understand anything you just said, and I've heard that sermon before. So they they get thoroughly confused, uh, but I'll, so I'll try to speak English tonight, and then at the end, I believe I have a few prophetic words over this house and over some people, but for, this is uh, nine, 20 trips over 19 years, because it began, it all began in January of 2000, uh, our connection to the UK, I came on a prophetic word, and God forever changed my life, I love England, Chris and I love all things English, like uh, Indian food. Uh, people don't understand that if you're that are not British, but uh, I, I'll go to India later this year. Your Indian food is better than Indian Indian food. Uh, get a proper curry here. Matter of fact, uh, I won't preach long tonight because we're going to have our first curry in a few moments. And so the more I talk about it, the quicker I'll want to go. So I, I will not be long-winded the more I think. And if I'm going too long, just shout curry and I'll close the meeting. Uh, so, so that'll be fine. But for 20 trips over 19 years, We've come to England and, and given what we feel like is a prophetic word for the year. That doesn't mean this is all that God is saying. What I'm going to unpack to you more than a preach tonight is what I feel prophetically God is saying, if that's okay. It's not just going to be a preach. Uh, it will be what I see God revealing to us and then those that we're in relationship. I believe the kingdom was designed to be administered relationally, and it's it's. It, it is advanced through revelation and relationship. And so when you're in relationship and God gives you revelation, truth, I believe was designed to not be artificially inseminated, but, re, but deposited in a relational context. So I trust tonight, as I said, if your favorite prophet has another word, believe that one. Um, I'm just throwing my bit in there tonight, and I hope that it will encourage you. Part of uh, what the Lord does with us is in the autumn time 
of the year, we go away and pray about the next season. We've kind of incorporated that now into our church as a theme every year. But long before we had a church, we were praying, Lord, what are you wanting to do in that season? Now, we could all argue, and I can hear you thinking, does God really, is he limited by our calendar? Uh, did really anything change January 1 from December 30? One And no, in a sense, it didn't. And the God, but I do believe the God who lives outside of time created time and looks for moments in time to get us to refocus. So that doesn't mean that God is limited or that he's saying something is changing or different, but he moves in times and seasons. And in January, February time, we're refocusing on something new. So I think it's an opportunity to hear God. So I'm not saying that that God wasn't doing certain things before and now he's definitely just doing this thing. I, I have to give my disclaimer before I go further. But last year as we went away, the Lord began to really speak to Chris and I about going back to our roots. And for those of you that know, um, part of my life's message is found in this idea of this Greek word called hooper or hooper, H-U-P-E-R. Hooper is where we get our English prefix hyper or super, where when you add it to anything, it takes it beyond itself. There's a lot of Hooper scriptures. I'll share a couple of them in a moment, a couple of my favorite ones. But, but it's like if you take uh, an active, if you, if you talk about an active child, then they really get active. We call them hyperactive. If you talk about space, then you go beyond space, it's hyperspace. Uh, if you talk about a market and you want to make it uh, better than a market, it's a supermarket. If you take a human and you take them beyond being human, you get superman rather than just a man. So my tag has always been not Superman, but Hooperman, that God wants us to live a life beyond ourselves. Because God is in the barrier-breaking business. As a matter of fact, if I came to tell you anything tonight, that God wants to break the barriers in your life. He wants to break mental barriers. He wants to break physical barriers. And God who created limitations does not let himself be limited by the limitations that he set in the earth. Right? And history is filled with barrier breakers. One of my favorites is a great British bloke named Roger Bannister, who on May 6, 1954, did what they said was humanly impossible. Many people said a human could not run a mile in less than four minutes. They had gotten to down to four minutes in one or two seconds. The previous record had lasted for nine years, but nobody had been able to break the barrier of the four-minute mile. But at a little place called Harrow on the Hill with a strong crosswind, Roger Bannister did the impossible, and he ran the mile in three minutes, 59.6 seconds. Now, if you're a cynic, you say, well, that's not much less than four minutes. But he broke the barrier. What's interesting is the record that had lasted nine years was broken in 46 days. Why? Because once a record is broken, others believe it's now possible. 
and what seemed to be impossible becomes possible. And could God want to do something through your life or my life to break barriers of our family history, to be the first to do certain things, the first to go certain places, the first to see certain things. Like, like, like uh, Sim was saying, one of the things in my life is I love to do something nobody else has done, and I don't mind taking the heat when I do it. Because I believe God loves to break barriers. People like Chuck Yeager, the test pilot, who they said you could never break the sound barrier, cannonballs and, and bullets could fly at supersonic speeds, but they believed that a plane could not do it. As a matter of fact, many had tried and failed. Some had died. They called it the, de the sound demon. They said, if, if you ever break Mach 1, the plane will disintegrate. And then in, in October 1946, after six times of failing... He was, on October 5th, he was riding a horse. The horse went right and he went left. He fell off, broke his ribs, knew that if he told the doctor at NASA that he had broken his ribs, that they would not let him try. So he went to a veterinarian to get his ribs taped. He then took a broom handle and put it up on the cockpit to pull it down because his ribs were in such pain, he couldn't reach up to pull down the cockpit. Took off in that B-20, lifted up by that B-29 and glamorous Glennis named after his wife. And over the Mojave Desert, they dropped him into the air. He gets to Mach 0.7, the plane starts shaking. Mach 0.8, his side excruciating in pain. Everything telling him to stop. He gets to Mach 0.9 and he said, in my mind, I, I wondered is it over? Is my life going to end? What will happen in the next few seconds? The, the, everything telling him to stop. And he said, I thought, I, with one last breath, push the throttle again. And suddenly a boom goes across the Mojave Desert. The first person breaks the sound barrier. The sonic boom takes place that we hear on a regular basis now. And he hits Mach 1. The interesting thing he said was this, all of the opposition was on the front side of my breakthrough. He said, once I broke the sound barrier, it was like a poke through jello. Actually, he said it was smooth as a baby's behind. How many times in our life is the enemy trying to shake our plane? He's trying to, to bring all this opposition because he knows we're close to a breakthrough. Now planes fly at supersonic speed with ease. It's not considered a barrier any longer. And you say, what are you trying to say, Dwayne? I'm trying to say that God is in the barrier-breaking business. And I don't care if you're 12 or 82 tonight. God still wants to break barriers in your life individually. And he wants to break barriers corporately. Thank you for those amens. I'm Texan. I need a little response. 
I know that you're English, but you're so polite that you want to make me feel comfortable. So even though it makes you uncomfortable, I know you love me enough to say, preach it, white boy, or something. That's what my church yells at me because we have a lot of African Americans in our church. So they stand and shout at me. I'm not asking you to do that. But just nod and say, yes. Good show. Something. Second Corinthians 4, 7 is a great uh, hooper scripture. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. The phrase excellency of power is hyperbole. It's where we get our English word hyperbole. Hyperbole, which is an exaggeration. If there's any English teachers, you understand this word hyperbole. Also, if there's any parents of teenagers, you understand hyperbole. Teenagers are great at hyperbole. When my son was 15, he would walk into a room and say, I'm starving. And, of course, I would give him the classic dad answer. No, I'll take you to Africa. I'll show you children that are starving. You're not starving. You ate two hours ago. Stop saying you're starving. It's hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. He'd walk into a room, and it was a little bit warm, and he'd say, it's so hot I'm dying. No, it's a little bit warm. Hyperbole. Here he says he takes this treasure, this resurrection life of Jesus, and he puts it in clay pots. I would have put it in a walled city. I would have put it in Fort Knox. I would have put it where the crown jewels are kept, in the Tower of London. I would have locked it up, but he puts it in a clay pot. Why? So that when the pot is broken and the treasure gets exposed... The treasure is what you look at, not the pot. So God takes this extraordinary resurrection life and supernatural power that's from him, and he puts it in ordinary people so that when he puts his hooper or his super to our natural, it becomes supernatural, and people say, that can't be them that must be God. Scriptures like Romans eight thirty seven. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That's Hooper Nikeo in the Greek. Hooper Nike. Nike stole this Greek word, and they took the O off of it and called him Nike or Nike. But and, and their motto is just do it or just overcome. But they're taking that Greek word and and they kind of hijacked it. But here Paul is saying, we're Hooper Nike. We're more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors in all these things. In what things? All the things he listed before that. Peril and famine and nakedness and sword and all of the things that happen in life. We're more than conquerors. It's, It's like this idea of Hooper Nikeo or Hooper Nike would be like playing proper football, not American football, but proper football. And you're in the World Cup and England is up 15-0 over Germany. (laughs) And you keep the starters in and score five more points. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He had already beat the enemy, but he ran up the score 
And that's what he wants to do in your life. He's not just wanting you to barely win. He wants us to so display his goodness that people say, this is insane. Only God can do that. I know we're English and I know we try to act like we're reserved, but deep down, you're winners. From this island, you've ruled the world. You, you, you go into the Olympics with 12 people and win all these medals. There is, there is something with, deep within every culture, including the English, that God put in us to break barriers. You, you stop the oppression of a tyrant in the world war that you should have lost. I don't care that America takes the credit. We got him way too late. We just helped out in the end. And I believe God birthed us all to be that way. But if that's true in the natural, how much more is it true in the kingdom? If that's true for sound barriers, how much more true is it for us in the seen barrier. But see, that's our problem. We have to break through not sound barriers or natural barriers, if you will, but the seen barrier, what we can see, feel, taste, touch, or smell. And, and because of that, we live by these limitations that we see daily. And so our temptation then becomes... To shrink back. Our temptation becomes to settle for mediocrity. Our temptation becomes to give in to what we see rather than the unseen. So you say, Dwayne, what's the prophetic word? What are you saying God is saying? Well, in God calling us, Chris and I, back to this idea, after all these years... 31 years in ministry, 27 years of marriage. Ten years ago, God spoke to us and said, from 2010 to 2020, I want you to go big. Everybody say, go big. It just sounded great, didn't it? Go big. Let's believe God for big things, and we did. And in that time, God did some great things. He gave us a building miraculously. We were mobile. We set up uh, 415 times in eight and a half years, but who's counting? And, and we, 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 we had some ups and downs and different things. God had done a lot of things, but there had been a lot of disappointments. And at the end of 2018, we had a lot of setbacks. Our daughter, surprisingly, uh, got pregnant. That was not something we had planned on. She's doing great. Uh, we have a, our grandchild is on the way. And although uh, uh, the way that he was conceived was not uh, the way we would have expected it, we believe that God condones life and people can be intimate, but only God can give life. And so we celebrate our grandbaby that's coming and our daughter's doing better than she's ever done in her life. And and, and God has done miraculous things, but, but it was a hit at first. It was a shock. 
We had uh, people very close to us. I'll tell you the whole story in just a moment, but we had people pass away. My father-in-law, who Chris talked about, her dad and one of my best friends got cancer and passed away a couple of months ago. Even our old English bulldog, Sir Winston, died. We named him after Winston Churchill. He was 10 years old. And, and actually, I got him and gave him to Chris on Valentine's Day at the beginning of 2010. And he had made it almost through the whole decade with us. And he got cancer and passed away. My, do- my daughter's dog got cancer and, passed away, and we had to put her down. And we just felt like there was loss everywhere for about four months. So as we were praying, God took us back to 2010 and that go big. And, and we were just thinking, what, what about when you go big and you're believing to go big? And, 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 and it was written on this board, go big. And it was actually my son, as we began to pray through it, he said, really, when, you, when we're trying to go big and we've done everything we know to do, we just have to trust that God's bigger. Somebody say God's bigger. He's bigger than our biggest failure. So that ought to make somebody feel good tonight unless we're in a room full of people that never failed. Uh, if so, I would love to know your secret. But, but we've all failed, right? We've all messed up and the devil wants to beat us up over our biggest failure, but I've got good news for you tonight. I have a prophetic word for you. God is bigger than your biggest failure. He's bigger than the worst thing you've ever done. He's bigger than your biggest mistake. He's bigger, he's bigger than your biggest failure. He's bigger than your biggest fear. Gideon stomping grapes in a threshing floor. You don't stomp grapes in a threshing floor you stomp grapes in a wine press but he was so afraid he was living in total dysfunction and how many times are we doing the right thing in the wrong place and we're living in utter dysfunction I've come to tell you if that's you tonight God's bigger he's bigger than your biggest fear he's bigger than your biggest failure he's bigger than your biggest success See, we all know he's bigger than our greatest failure, but sometimes the enemy to the next thing God wants to do is the last great thing he did. Because we're stuck in the last revival or the last move of God or the last miracle or the last prayer that God answered. But I've come to prophesy to somebody that whatever you have seen God do, in your past, no matter how great it was, don't get stuck there. Isn't it funny in Isaiah 43, he says, remember the, the he said, I am the God that speaks to you. I'm the one who, who made a way in the, in, in, in the sea. I parted the sea and the horse and the chariot fell into the sea. And he's telling the story, right? Remember that? And then the very next verse, he says, forget the former thing. So he tells them to remember the Red Sea and what he did. And then the next verse he says, forget about it. Why? Because he's saying, remember what I did, forget how I did it. Because sometimes we're so emotionally attached to how God did something, we're not willing to let him do something that we have no frame of reference for. 
Boy, that's a word from God for somebody. You've been so afraid to take that risk because you say, I've never seen that happen before. But what if God wanted to build something through you that there's no prototype for? So he's bigger than our last. He's bigger than our greatest failure. He's bigger than our greatest fear. He's bigger than our greatest victory. But here's, here's what I want us to see tonight. God is bigger than what I think he should have done in the past. That prayer that I prayed, and it didn't happen. See, see, see we pray and somebody gets healed of cancer, we have to remember he's bigger than that. Come on, talk to me. But, but when I pray and it doesn't happen, he's bigger than that. He's bigger than what I thought he should have done in the past. And he's bigger than what I want him to do in my future. If you'd humor me for just a moment. Everybody close your eyes for 60 seconds. Nobody looking around. And, and in this moment, with your eyes closed, imagine the biggest, most insane, wildest fantasy God could ever do in your life. I mean, come on, dream big for 30 more seconds. Just let your imagination, your creativity run wild. Now look at me. He's bigger than that. Because Ephesians 3.20, the greatest hooper scripture of all to me, says, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly, hooper, abundantly, parisos, above all we could ask, think, or imagine, hooper, panta. He's saying that that, that word parisos, uh, abundantly, is full in measure. It, it, it's the best it's, it's full in extent. So it would be the, the best sim could be. It would be the smartest sim, the most successful sim, the, 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 the sim of all sims. And he says, I'm able to do more than that. But then he says, I'm also able to do more than sim can dream of. Our problem is, as I look around this room, I think there's a lot of us that have been in church long enough that while we mentally ascend to everything I'm saying, our cynicism gets us to doubt, is that really true? Theologically, we believe it, but experientially, we're struggling. Because we're living with the tension of our theological and, and biblical ideologies versus our present reality. But I should never let my seen condition dictate my unseen position. Because my seen condition is temporary, but my unseen position is eternal. So I have to remind myself that I choose to say, God is bigger. He's bigger than the mystery that I live with 
every day. One last scripture, and I'm landing this plane. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, verse 17, which is but for a moment. (laughs) That's interesting, momentary light affliction. That's from a guy who was snake bit, shipwrecked, knocked in the head, and left for dead. And I get upset when my Netflix buffers. I scream at my iPad violently because my Netflix buffered. This momentary line of fiction is working for us a far more, this is a Hooper word again, exceeding Hooper an eternal weight of glory. For while we do not look at things which are seen, but at things which are unseen, for things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. No seen present condition can ever change my unseen eternal position. My circumstance never changes God's bigness, but my perspective can make God small to me. In the message it says in Corinthians, it says, Your lives are not small. You've just been living them in a small way. And he says, I'm inviting you, Paul says, into these wide open spaces. If that brother that was tickling those fake ivories earlier could just slip back up there and begin to play softly, it will give people hope. that the runway really is inside. Somebody say God's bigger. It all boils down to this. Here's what I'm saying. Here's the word of the Lord to you tonight. God is bigger than the best or the worst that life has to offer. bigger than the best or the worst he's bigger than your best day he's bigger than your worst day we had a a lady in our church she was 33 she got a rare lung disease she was delivering her fourth child third child fourth child Uh, right after she was born the she was in and out of hospital for years. After four years, she needed a double lung transplant. She was in the hospital in Dallas, Texas, and the doctors gave up on her. They took her off of the, the lung transplant list, and they said, uh, you, there's, we can't get you lungs. They intubated her, and they said, once we intubate you, they put it off as long as they could. Before they intubated her, her husband asked me to come and renew their vows in the hospital. 
I went and renewed their vows. I walked out of that hospital and I just began to weep. I thought, God, it's without you, there's no hope. 37 years old, four children, one child, four years old, five years old. They said, once we intubate her, she has 72 hours. So the night they were going to intubate her, her husband, who was 43 at the time, sends an email at midnight, Texas time, 1 a.m. Maryland time, to the top surgeon that does lung transplants in the nation, and his secretary gets it. He's in a board meeting at 1 a.m. She risks her job, walks in, shows him the email, and says, can we help this girl? He looked at it and said, we have no lungs. Uh, this is crazy, but I want to help her. Get her here. They somehow talked. Their insurance wouldn't pay for what we call the life flight, the helicopter, to take her 1,500 miles. So that would be from London to well into Europe, into the continent. 1,500 miles. $500,000 helicopter flight. They miraculously got someone to sign off on it. Fly her. By the time they get her to Maryland, when she lands, we're within 24 hours now. No, if, and there's no lungs. When she signed the papers to get into the hospital, someone comes with lungs of a 19-year-old boy who died in a car accident. It's a 100% match. And she was signing the admittance papers into the hospital and they said sign for these lungs at the same time. She signs for the lungs. They prepare everything. The doctors check the lungs out. By the time they take her into to the theater, into the surgery, she was within four hours of expiration. She gets a double lung transplant. And she's going to Israel with us next week. That was a very British clap. <laughs> I think even Brits would have gone a little bit crazier than that if that had been your spouse. Two years to the month, last autumn, 45 years old she goes she's living life I mean she's she's loving life things are great so she goes to a Beyonce concert as you do when you get lungs and she spends a night with a friend she's a nurse and her husband goes to sleep one in the morning never wakes up his 10 year old daughter finds him dead I sat with her with her saying, why? Why? How could this happen? God just saved my life and, and my husband, 45, doesn't wake up. Orphans are six kids, four with her and two with previous marriage. But what Leah has learned, she just got a book that she's publishing. It's coming out in two 
months, a month or so. Because no matter what I still win, what she's learned is the same God that was bigger than my lung transplant was the same God that's bigger the night my husband didn't wake up. And when we look at the seen, we live with mystery. But when we look at the unseen, we live with celebration. When we look at the unseen, we live with glory. Because our affliction produces glory while we're looking at the unseen. And she's come to understand that God is bigger than my best day. And he's bigger than my worst day. And the resolve that this woman has now is incredible. And she says, you know, I don't understand it. I don't know that this side of eternity, I'll ever understand it. But I know that that God is good and he spared my life for a purpose. And I'm so thankful my kids have me here. uh, And and I'm going to raise them to serve Jesus. A few months later just a couple of weeks ago my, I, I got some great news it was a personal thing that that I needed to hear and, and I got a phone call and literally our staff are running around the church waving their hankies and acting like Pentecostals American Pentecostals having a celebration 30 minutes later I get a phone call my niece was nine months pregnant one week away from delivery my sister says you need to rush to the hospital Tabitha's had an emergency c-section there's no heartbeat we get there my wife beats me there she she leaves she was painting our church offices she had paint all over her sweats she rushes in a car to get there I tie up a few loose ends as quick as I can and get there and and shortly after I'm there she's holding her baby 6 pounds 15 ounces and she's stillborn beautiful baby perfect she's holding her 28 years old holding this baby and you know what she started doing She started singing, His praise shall ever be on my lips. His praise shall ever be on my lips. She started praying and saying, Father, I bind and rebuke any bitter thoughts that could come into my life or my family's life or my husband's life. And although I will never see Emmeline on this side of eternity alive, I know she's waiting for me on the other side of eternity and thank you for the privilege of carrying this life for nine months and she was never mine she was always yours and I don't believe that you killed her but I believe that all things work together for good and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world and she began to just prophesy over her own life and she said God I refuse to be bitter and I I, I choose to be thankful right now and she began to look at eternity rather than the natural and glory began to be produced in her and she began to magnify God as being bigger and then the next Monday at the memorial at the funeral for the baby she led worship and she led the song we sang raise a hallelujah 
sitting from a chair because she couldn't stand from an emergency C-section. But you know what's crazy? They said, they said, had you been 30 minutes later, you'd have never been able to have children again. But because you got here when you did, we spared your womb, and you'll be able to have children again. They also were thinking she'd be in the hospital for a week. After she released all that bitterness, she left in 24 hours and was at that memorial service singing and worshiping. If you go, if you follow me on social media, if you go to my Facebook page, go down a few, a, a few posts from a few days ago, and you'll see a young lady in a mask in a hospital holding a friend of hers' baby who's fighting for her life after she just lost her baby, and she goes in and leads worship in the hospital, believing for God to restore. Listen, you may say, this is kind of sad. I wish you'd tell some happy stories. But the thing is, when we look at the unseen, it all ends happy. Because Jesus is the victor and he's already won. He won on and, and, and he's winning on our best day. And he's won on what seems to be our worst day. And there is joy in the midst of anything. So I don't know what you're facing. And maybe our brother could come back to that guitar. And we could just take, I have a couple of prophetic words. But I just believe there's a hallelujah in this place. And I believe tonight night that before we go on or say or do anything else, could we just raise a hallelujah and, and just get our focus on how big and how great and how awesome God is and, and can we just take our focus off of whatever situation or circumstance because you may be going through your worst day ever. Can you just declare that he's bigger? Or maybe you've had your biggest victory. You've ever seen what you've been believing God for for 20 years can you just believe that he's still bigger than that that God when we put our focus on God then nothing in this life nothing can stop us nothing can hold us back nothing can keep us from God's goodness in all these things we're more than conquerors for more information about Freedom Church please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.